1: And today it is time for another Feminist Movie Friday. I believe this one's coming out on Friday. (laughs) Is it? Okay. Are we on time? We're all over uh, the place right now. We are all over the place, but I think on this one we're on time. (laughs) Okay, okay. Yes, and we have teased about this one because today we are talking about the 2020 biographical drama film Ma Rainey's Black Bottom based on August Wilson's 1982 play of the same name. The movie was directed by George C. Wolfe and written by Ruben Santiago Hudson and stars Viola Davis, Chadwick Boseman, in his final film appearance, which is why we kind of pushed this one off because we knew it was going to be a bummer. (laughs) It's
2: sad. Well... I'm not going to lie. We're going to get into it, but I did not realize how sad the play and I should have mm-hmm. because it was a realm and during the realm of like those sad plays where it never ends as well as you want. But okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. But yes, both of those it things, reality <laughs> and in the movie. In multiple ways.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, also starring Coleman Domingo, Glenn Turman and Michael Potts, and it was produced by Denzel Washington, Todd Black and Danny Wolf. It received uh, a lot of praise, acclaim, and awards when it came out, including being named as one of the top 10 movies of 2020 by the American Film Institute and five Oscar nominations, including Best Actor for Bozeman, Best Actress for Davis, and it won the Makeup and Hair, Styling, and Costume Design Award of the Oscars. We talked about that in our Women Achievements of 2020 episode. Maybe it was 2021. Oh, it's all a mess in my head. It also received nine NAACP Image Award nominations. Bozeman and Davis also made history when they both won Best Actor and Actress at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, the first time Black actors had won both categories in the same year. So.
2: Um, and after watching this performance... I didn't know originally when the Oscar stuff was happening and they had this. This was a big controversial uh, moment where Bozeman had passed away and everybody was grieving. And the Oscars itself made it seem like they were going to announce him as the uh, Oscar nominated winner. And it didn't. And it was very anticlimactic and everybody's like, really, dude? Uh, Which Anthony Hopkins had won and he was asleep Uh. (laughs) during his award because the timing was off. It was pandemic. Not everyone was there. But I have to say, I haven't seen Anthony Hopkins' performance. He was robbed. Bozeman was robbed. His work in this film... I forgot who he was. And so oftentimes I get caught up in what I've seen in them originally. Mm -hmm. So Black Panther, that is in the back of my head. But that very like small talking, but like big action person, but he doesn't use a large voice in Black Panther. And in this one, he exuded everything. Like everything resonated and I could not help but feel everything he was feeling, the angst of it all. And I really was sad that he did not. He should have won that award. Like no matter what, not for sympathy, but for the performance in itself was incredible. And I'm very sad by that.
1: Just want to put that out there. Yeah, it was a phenomenal performance. It was very like electrifying and and I I think every article I read... (laughs) Mentioned like, wow, what a what an amazing job he did. And all of the performances were amazing. And I was really impressed with, I really loved the, I loved the costuming. I loved the hair. I read an article right before this about Davis being very insistent on capturing mm-hmm. that look and how they were able to capture that look of Ma Rainey. And I loved the music of it. Uh It was mm-hmm. just so immediately kind of pulls you in and is just very, very, very important to this story and important to this movie, and I absolutely loved it.
2: And the uh, the person in charge of the costume, uh, Anne Roth, was so meticulous. Even Davis was talking about how during that giant tent scene, which we're going to talk a little bit about, it had over 100 extras. Roth would go around per person and make sure whatever they were wearing was to the T as that timing and she talked about how she was big into research and refused to do anything before she researched all of that time period and all of those individual people and talked about the suits for the men talked about the dress for uh Rainey, like all of those things and the two of them were really great in and collaborating and yeah that definitely needed awards It also kind of was like man I want like I, you had this fantasy about the 20s, but we also know, yes, it was not a good time to be a person of color in general, especially black a person, but the beginning and the change, and I didn't really think about the Great Migration, and I forgot about that. We I'm, we had a comment like, you know, we talked about studying uh, the Black history and what that looks like. I know we don't talk about the Great Migration and what that was, and still the overall segregation and uh, racism that was happening, even though it's supposed to be a better opportunity. And I really am glad that we got to see that perspective here um, in this conversation. And I will say, like, uh, watching there is. A making of so if you if you get to watch that it's on netflix as well um it's really great like it's just like a 20 minute documentary about the process and and what they were doing but uh the director was so adamant in all of these things and wanting to represent in a, not only metaphorically but physically, all of these different things that were happening and talking about, you know, the the beginning scenes where you see them walking off the train station and they're getting looks because yeah. they're a part of the town. They're in the part of the town mm-hmm. where black people weren't welcomed mm-hmm.
1: or weren't seen often there. But yeah, really good. really good. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you about that because I did not get a chance to watch it. So I want to hear more. Um, and as you said, Samantha, these are both available on Netflix. If you have Netflix, you want to check it out. I highly recommend I recommend, and I I know that scene, the opening scene you're talking about, uh, I really loved. And they were talking about it was something we've discussed a lot. Is you know not only showing this racial tension that was just you know inherent in, in the lives of black people, but also joy and and the power of music. And that scene was a good. It, would, it had both of them kind of side by side, and it was really powerful. All right, so let's go over the plot really quickly. The story follows influential blues singer Ma Rainey, who's played by Davis, and in particular a dramatized studio session that took place in Chicago in the 1920s in the summer, very hot. Um, Rainey, a renowned strong-willed woman and Georgia singer, sometimes called the mother of blues, uh, had recently been contracted by white producers, and she goes to record at Paramount's Recording Studios in Chicago in 1927. One of her producers expresses frustration when the talented and seasoned Georgia jazz band members to lead cutler and slow drag show up on time and without rainy the trumpeter levy green who is played by bozeman against the band's wishes uh he has shown the annoyed producer sturdy vance uh some of his own compositions in the hopes of striking out on his own without rainy he's got kind of these like big ambitions and hopes right
2: And I think, uh, like, if you've watched anything kind of like Cadillac Records or Dreamgirls, which I've seen, have you seen either one of those? I've seen Dreamgirls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We know that during that time, there was a lot of misleading, and we're going to talk about it more. But it's obvious that the elder uh, musicians are like, don't do that. You're giving it to the white man, essentially. And it kind of alludes to that. But he's thinking he's so big. Right. He has so big dreams and is so talented it's not going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. But, so, an hour late, uh, Rainy arrives with her friend, Dusty May, and her nephew, Sylvester. And by the way, uh, in the, she talks about how she makes her entrance when she walks out of the hotel and everybody's looking. And this is kind of that rebellion and being like, Y'all are going to look at me anyway, so make it a show. Mm-hmm. Y'all are showing dis- disdain to me, I'm going to show you disdain. And that's kind of the uh, persona that Davis saw, and, and it was correct, of what who Ma Rainey was. And so she did that so well, so mm-hmm. well. Love it. So she wastes no time in clashing with Sturdy Vance. The, so they've already worked together, apparently, and she knows how to work them, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and the manager, Irvin, issuing demands and refusing to record since her Coca-Cola was not provided, which... She requested. Mm-hmm. Instead, she threatens to leave and saying, that's fine, I'll leave here. I can record anywhere else. I know what y'all are doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this. I can't believe y'all can't do this. This is also at the same time, she's also demanding that Sylvester be on the record. This is her nephew. She had promised her uh, sister that she would take care of him. He's going to earn some money. Unfortunately, he has a pronounced stutter. So it's kind of difficult for him to do the opening lines. I do find it interesting that a... There's a lot there's a bit of ableism I know we're gonna talk about it because she's forcing him to do something, uh, whether or not he can or he can't. And then also the fact that I do love his attitude. So that's just attitudes like I can get it. Just leave me be, like, I can get mm-hmm. it. But everybody else is just kind of like, Oh no, oh no. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think we would have to look up, but you know, we don't have the amazing, they didn't have the amazing skills and technology to edit. Right. Because Y'all, it takes me a long time to get a sentence together sometimes, too. (laughs) Uh Let's just be real honest. But thank God, super producer Christina can fix me (laughs) (laughs) in editing. But, you know, so this was costing money. Like they were throwing away records upon records. Um, So this was a concern. But not only that, because of this, obviously there's multiple takes. Everybody is getting aggravated. It's really hot and yeah, there's a lot of hiccups in getting to this point.
1: Yes, 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 yes. So there's kind of like this boiling over of, of tensions. And in a break uh, between recording, Rainey tells Cutler that her white producers see her as, quote, just a dog in the alley, uh, that they only use her for her voice. Um, and this is part of her, like, which we're also going to get into more, you know, asking for a coke, like I'm making you all this money and you can't spend the money on a Coca-Cola to get me that I requested, like knowing yeah, what yeah. you're worth. And Slow Drag walks in on Dusty May and Alevi having sex. So a lot of things yeah. going on.
2: <laughs> yeah, and by the way, at this point, you should know, Dusty May is in a romantic relationship with Ma Rainey. And that's, so at the very first scene when we see Ma Rainey uh, performing in the tent scene, which we were talking about with all the amazing costumes, kind of setting up how big of a performer she really is, what kind of show she really has. Like, it's pretty phenomenal. We see that he's trying to, he being Levy, goes to the front center, which he's not. He's just a backup band, but he comes out to the front to show off his trumpeting skills. But he's also like, Eye contact with uh, Dusty May, trying to like hit on her, and everybody sees it. Mm-hmm. Rutro, mm-hmm. don't do that. <laughs> um, but yes, they end up having sex. There's this whole like weird exchange. Also, good to note like they do an amazing job in transitioning this to film from mm-hmm. being a onstage play because it still feels absolutely like a play, but still movie. So the way they have these transitions, the way they set it up, you obviously know it was a play. Once upon a time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Just so I put that there. So, after several takes of the first track, the band finally nails it. Sylvester finally nails it. But it turns out, thanks to equipment malfunction, the recording is oh. bad. So, like, his recording was off the entire time because rats had eaten the cord and everybody's oh. really not happy. So, the band members point the finger at Levy, accusing him of tripping over something while he was mooning over Desi May. Yeah, there's a lot of implications here, like, oh, you did this and you did that. Mm-hmm. And, and no one's really grasping what mm. is happening. They yell at Dusty May. She was like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> <laughs> But further, again, investigation reveals it was uh, damage done by the rats. Uh, Cutler, who is a religious man, and that's part of the theme, is a religion, God, and being saved, essentially. Mm-hmm. Tries to mediate, because they all take a break. Mm-hmm. So at this break t- point, while they're waiting, the band goes downstairs. It looks really like is an obvious statement of where the backup band is. Yeah. In the dark room, little given, little amenities. You're just here for the background. Mm-hmm. You're not the star. But they go down to talk. And then they start having a bigger discussion about religion. They start talking about having a bigger discussion about um, the crimes against black people and how to have a relationship with white people and in its supremacy at this time in the 1920s. And then in this time, Cutler tells the story of a black man getting stuck in a small town in Georgia a group of white men take his Bible, tear it up, and force him to dance, but uses the dance as saying he you are doing something that's against God, so you can't have these things. But before he could finish the story, Levy dismisses him, telling that if God existed, he'd care about black people, which isn't the case. Because at this point, we've already heard the story, really sad story, of Levy's mom, who was uh, traumatized and assaulted by a group of white men after his dad tried to buy property. So a lot of these things, so him being told he was man of the house, couldn't protect her, tried, and then got stabbed because he tried. Um, so he's angry. He's, in which he, one of the first things he says is, my mom called out to God, called out to Jesus for mercy, and no one showed. If Jesus really cared about you, he'll stop me from attacking you to Cutler with a, like he had a knife, and they were, after they started fighting. hmm so it was a whole big... And again, these dialogues and monologues that Levy does is what I'm talking about, yeah. that passion. Because these are the things that you see, I don't know if you've ever in any audition for plays. I'm sure yeah. you have. <laughs> but you have to have these monologues. Mm-hmm. And these are it. Like, yes. these are, and I don't know if anyone ever could hit the level that he does, but it's phenomenal. When they can stand alone like that, and you're mesmerized yeah. like that, to me, that's, to me, award-winning. <laughs> All of that to say, he does it, he does it well, he breaks your heart, mm-hmm. he, he makes you angry. And in my head, as a person, you and I have talked about religion. I was like, yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
1: Ugh. Yeah, that scene, if the camera like follows Bozeman as he's having this monologue and he's going through all of these emotions. So, so mesmerizing and painful. <laughs> but yeah, really excellent. Okay, so... The band finally finishes the recording session, and after they are wrapped, Rainey fires Levy. Uh, and they've kind of been at odds this whole time, because uh, he ha- said, he's like, I can improve your music. He's got this thing with Dusty May, like, kind of the whole thing. Oh, and he was really adamant that Sylvester not uh, be on the album. Ma Rainey believes that his ambition and his recklessness and his attitude are harmful for the band, so Levy goes to Sturdy uh the white producer, but Sturdy tells him he'll only buy the music, that there's no market for him for that music, not going to really make money. He offers him, like, nothing for it. This leads Levy to have a mental breakdown, and he fatally stabs Toledo after Toledo accidentally stepped on his, his new shoes that he had bought at the beginning of this movie, these kind of new fancy shoes. Horrified, Cutler and Slowdrag leave as Levy cradles Toledo's body, The film ends with an all-white band, presumably Paul Whiteman's orchestra, from what I read, recording Levy's songs for Sturdy Bunch. Mm. So. Yeah. (sighs) Snag
0: a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: To start planning your trip,
2: visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Yeah, that ending, I will say, I, again, it felt very Arthur Miller esque. Mm. And I'm no, again, that's not, I'm not trying to compare the two because it's not, but that, that level of uh, melancholy ending. Yep. But it reigned true. I think there's also conversation, and we, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but the idea of finding Black joy, I think that's a big conversation in the Black community today because more often times that we have this need to see the sadness and the torture of Black communities and Black people, which is kind of the whole slavery story. It's like, okay, at what point are we exploiting their pain? Um, and, and absolutely. And in this kind of, I was like, I wonder what, what would we say about this play specifically? But at the same time, because the ending for Levy, that, that, that was shocking to me. But again, it felt very like, you know, Arthur Miller-esque in that level of like, just, it just ends. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what just happened? What just happened? But it's very like 1980s, 1950s, 1960s, like types of plays. So I wonder if that was kind of that mindset for August Wilson. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll never know, but the reality is, while we're celebrating one woman's success, but in in the in the actual documentary, they're talking about this is the end of her success. Like this is kind of the end of the yeah. her uh, giant career. So, is it? What, are, what is the dichotomy? And is it that she's jaded and still knows how to work the system and that's how she's leaving is on a bang? Yeah. And Levy came in so hopeful and thinking that all he needed was dreams and talent, which they do talk about in the documentary. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it was portrayed. And then when he was so profoundly disappointed that he took his rage out on the wrong person, meaning right. it should be towards a white man. Mm-hmm. And because he did not have the ability to do so at that point in time, mm-hmm. It was towards one of his friends, essentially, and the the trauma
1: and the shock of it all. Yeah. But, uh,
2: uh, oh, that's all I have to say.
1: Uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess we should also mention I want you to talk about the documentary in a second, Samantha, because that's a great point. Now that you pointed out to me, I'm like, yeah, this is definitely a play. Like, I can see the, it feels very much yeah. like a play. Yeah. But we didn't mention in the plot, like at the end, after the recording session is done, Ma Rainey. Is trying to leave, and the uh, quote nicer white producer is like, "You got to sign this contract. You got to sign this contract. We can't leave without signing this contract." And she's like, "No, no, no. I'm not, I don't want to sign it. I don't want to sign it." And he eventually just really pressures her into it, and she's, I mean, she she. It's not like she knows what she's doing, but it's definitely that feeling of resignation of like, uh, uh, <laughs> guess I'll well, sign it. Well, it's also
2: a. Plot point in understanding that she knew
1: mm-hmm.
2: not to because it was the release forms. Like, sure, that you can have it, but you can't release it, her music, right. without her permission, right. which I'm very surprised that they had that during that time because they did so much to take advantage of the Black community, Black artists, mm-hmm. which was a big theme, that she had been so jaded and so screwed over by the white people. Yeah. And she her giant conversations in that is, is gorgeous. Davis's performance in that, that she waited to the mid last minute because she knew how many times that she would have to correct them yep. for not following her instructions or not listening or not following her requests, including the Coca-Cola, which she just finally was tired of them. It's like, fine, I'll get my own. Mm-hmm. Um, which we have that really uncomfortable scene of the two young black men, her nephew and the other musician, walking into an all-white store and just, having a stare off yeah but then also the fact that she demanded pay for her nephew and they were going to take it out of her check yep. instead of just paying them they're like she was like oh hell no mm-hmm. essentially it was like no this is if i wanted to pay him with my own money i would have you pay him this was my demand and because she had not signed that release form they came in pretty much say, oh i'm so sorry i'm so sorry and of course the producer dude was really skeevy yep Throughout, like that, I, he is purposely that character. And to be fair, I feel like that's realistic portrayal from the 1920s and what we've know what we know of mm. today. When it comes to, and, and we see it, we see the practices of executive producers taking advantage of contracts and of uh, musicians because of their ignorance of not knowing how to read a contract. We can say that about pod, being podcasters, and we've talked about this having ownership not we are not oppressed like the black community absolutely not but just being in this field you and i we have learned through others of the mistake of the power of the contract Mm -hmm. and not being able to understand we need to negotiate from up front, but not being able to because we don't have name recognition. I think that's one of the things you and I have talked about many times is how do we handle this contract thing? Because we're not celebrities. Celebrities can demand things, Mm -hmm. which is like, great, you you get all this. Us as like Mm indie-ish, did I say (laughs) that with quotes? Unknowns can't we're just grateful to be here. And essentially that's kind of what happened with our predecessors. They were so new to this field, they didn't know what this was. Mm -hmm. So they had this giant contract and instead of being able to renegotiate, they just got bought out. They were suppressed and essentially controlled by those contracts. So we see it today. So I can't imagine how awful it was for them, especially during the 1920s, especially during segregation. And not that that's not happening today. Little too reminiscent, I think, to what was happening to them and how often they were taken advantage of. And Ma Rainey understood that mm-hmm. towards that end of their career and made sure to hold off. Yeah. So that she got everything she wanted, including, we didn't talk about this, including them fixing her car. Oh,
1: yeah, that's right. Cause she kind of arrives and she's in a. <laughs> A car accident. And she's like, no. (laughs) Right.
2: So what we see is they are trying to find the studio. They're late to get in there. They're like, oh, there it is. Sylvester slams on his brakes. He gets hit from behind Mm -hmm. by another car. It's a white man. There's a fight. And the police is trying to put everybody in the cool, quote-unquote, paddy wagon. (laughs) And the producer, his it's actually her agent. Irvin is her agent, is able to smooth it out and is also getting her car fixed for her while she is recording. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, get it, Ma.
1: Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, And We are going to talk about that more, but uh, before that, I would love if you could go over kind of some of the high points of the documentary, Samantha.
2: Yeah, so um, as I'm watching it, of course, Denzel Washington, Viola Davis, um, all of the other players are in there. Glenn Turman is actually the one that kind of uh, narrates the entire thing, which I was really glad to see. I love him. He's one of the bigger classical actors that I've seen throughout a lot of times. He was on a really big Criminal Minds episodes where they talk about racial segregation and him being growing up in a really racist state and what that looked like and finding vengeance and anger, rightly so. But He's the one that actually narrates this entire uh, documentary, and they go from point to point. It's really nice about what it is, whether it's about the music, whether it's about the characters, the historical context of why this play was so important when August Wilson wrote it, um, the behind the scenes on how they filmed it. This is where I found out Anne Roth was so meticulous in her uh, costuming, and I loved it. uh, Denzel Washington... I call it Denzel. I hope you don't mind it. So <laughs> and He is absolutely that smooth uh, executive producer who's like, I'm just glad I got to be a part of this. Sure. <laughs> I'm just glad we got to bring this out on, you know, like all of those things. It was quite delightful having each of the actors talk about their characters and why they felt it was so important. It was really beautiful to see. Um, they also brought a, on Imani Perry, who is a, a scholar for race law literature and African-American culture. And she really talked about the background of the 1920s and the the blues and why blues was so important at that point in time and how that really brought music to where it is today in the U.S. And I, of course, I'm a huge blues fan, so this made absolute sense and I loved everything about it. Uh, did I ever tell you about uh, me going to see the play Mahalia Jackson, based on Mahalia Jackson, who was a black gospel singer and blues singer from way back when? Mm-hmm. This is when I was in Oklahoma, of all places, and uh, we went to see this play. It was a phenomenal play, and the actress who did it would just kill the music because she was singing all the gospel songs. But it it was very reminiscent to that to me in Mm -hmm. that they were talking about just the Black community, the uh, the enslaved people, really bringing music to where it is today and how important it is and how often it has been taken over by other uh, non-Black communities. And I, I include everyone in this. It's not just white people um, but how it's been taken over and she talks about the fact that how it translated to what it is today so it was a really great documentary on what it was they talk about of course bozeman and how well he did in the performance and they kind of give an homage to him so this was filmed after his death and it's just like uh, yeah Uh. i really wish he was there to talk about the level that he took it to uh, for these characters. But yeah, it was really good. I think it was very short, like 20 minutes long. If that, y'all should watch it if you watch the all Rainey, because I think it's really great. We need to understand, as you and I have talked about before, the history of it all. This is a biography. This is about a woman um, who should have been known, but wasn't really known. Bessie Smith came out around the same time, which we hear her name come out, Um, Around the same time, and she, got, she was bigger than Ma Rainey. Their style wasn't too much the same, but they were doing blues. Um, and even to the one point, they said that Ma Rainey really influenced uh, Bessie Smith's music. We don't know that for sure. I think one context is yes, they definitely uh, interacted and, and were together and may have been friends, but we don't know the context of that. But technically, I believe Ma Rainey was before. Bessie Smith when it comes to the performance layer. But yeah, so it talks a lot about that historical level as well. Of course, we have, yes, the conversations that Viola has about how she wanted to look and why it was so important that she embodied Ma Rainey the way it was, and that, that it was for her because she was a boss. Like, And it comes down to the fact that she understood how to play the game. Unfortunately, that's what it's called at this point, in the end and why it was so important that she hold to that and why this one small scene that we see because it's just one day we're seeing one Mm -hmm. day why it was important and then also uh just a trivia stuff uh wolf really took some uh like he definitely kept the broadway portion to it um, and then the play portion to it but he talked about the fact that he changed the seasons To summer because he wanted that what you talked about how it was so important to see not only were they frustrated but they were hot they were in like this type of scenario Chicago's really ridiculously hot and what it looked like. For them to be all in a sweltering room, everything bubbling over, including the weather and the tension. So he did that on purpose. Uh, The scene in which we see Bozeman kicking the door, thinking that he's opening the door for himself, but then hitting a brick wall. And he was like, that is absolute metaphor to a lot of the black people today. Uh, thinking that you have an opportunity, thinking you have a heads up, thinking that this can carry you so far, but you have a wall, and that usually is systemic racism, whatever it is. Yeah. But like, it's it's definitely like, if you get a chance after watching the movie, you should definitely watch that documentary. I think it's always good to see
1: a perspective from from the originators. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Well, thank you, Samantha, for that recap. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I was going to mention that because it so throughout. They're when they're in this kind of basement area that, as you say, is sort of like this where they put the not the star performers, Mm -hmm. and that's where a lot of these like intense conversations happen. There's this locked door that they keep, uh, Levy in particular keeps like trying to open. And at the end, he finally like breaks it open in his rage, and it's just a a brick wall, (laughs) which was a very, yeah, I thought. A powerful metaphor of fighting and fighting and fighting to finally open this door, and there's just another obstacle in your way. It goes nowhere. I also wanted to touch on, as you said, like the, the music was so powerful and important in this movie, and August Wilson uh, was very vocal about how much he loved blues and how much it influenced his work and how impactful he thought it was. And it's just almost a character in and of itself in this movie it was really beautiful. And I like how they comment on it directly. Like some characters, I believe Ma Rainey even says, like, they call me the mother of blues. I'm probably not. People have been doing it forever, but I'll accept it if they call me that. Like, okay. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. They
2: have some amazing quotes about that. Uh, one of my favorite lines is when she says, the blues helps you get out of bed in the morning. So at this point, she's talking about how she they're sitting in silence and how much she hates the silence. But even in silence, there's music in her head. Mm-hmm. And then talking about why blues does this. Um, And it's just like, uh, yeah, the blues help you get out of bed in the morning. You get up knowing you ain't alone. There's something else in the world. Something's been added by that song. This be an empty world without the blues. And I was like, damn. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It changed so much of the conversation.
1: And I was like, no,
2: okay. That's it. That's it. That's the line. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I think um, as we've mentioned several times in this episode, the opening scene is it's one of the reasons it hits so hard, is because there's this sort of implication of of fear and and like these dogs running from a train, and then it the camera comes to this big tent, and there are all of these people gathered there, and, and Ma Rainey is singing. And that's something we've discussed a lot, is the power of music. For people who have been oppressed, uh, in finding that joy and finding that community in protesting, that's something that you and I have been talking about a lot lately. With these songs that were so powerful and touched on things that were so painful, it's uh, so necessary. But in that way, being able to to connect, and I know, as we've discussed, I I think Ma Rainey, she in the In the materials I read before this, she preferred those live performances. She preferred to have those connecting with people in that environment, and away from kind of these white producers that are controlling her music and where it goes. And that was just something she she valued. So I feel like she was someone who both knew, like, to how to work the system. Um, even if it was incredibly unfortunate uh, and, and stacked against right. her, but she also clearly had this passion for it and this passion for writing and connecting in that way. Right. And I love that I love the idea that August Wilson was so influenced by this music. So you see that kind of inspiration, yeah. that power of how it can impact people and then lead to other art or lead to all these other things.
2: Right. He did an amazing job. As in fact, in that documentary they're talking about while August Wilson was researching, like they found seven pictures of Ma Rainey while there was like hundreds of pictures of Bessie Smith and how he really dug deep to find this singer. And I find that interesting too, because we do finally getting to a point that... Hopefully, finally, uh, that we're talking about these amazing musicians that made this huge change. And um, she is one of those, as well as Bessie Smith, as well as uh, who is known as Bessie Jackson. That was her uh, stage name, but I think her real name is Lucille Bogan. Uh, And she was kind of like the queen of filth, essentially. And you see that same level in Ma Rainey. They all were not going to play cutesy they are going to make it down and raunchy and dirty but not in a way that was so over the top but enough to be like i am a woman who enjoys these things get it get it together or or don't and and they accepted it like they being the audience they being the listener if you listen to the song of uh black bottom you're like what what (laughs) whoa uh you know like it's very interesting but both like those three really brought on a new set of style within the blues within all of this because it wasn't just you know uh singing love songs anymore it was just being fun and who they were and being sexy in themselves and i think that was a whole different thing and not only sexy in themselves but loving themselves Mm -hmm. in a different manner and i think that's also a big key point that we don't talk enough about especially when it comes to black women who have become huge musicians I think we can translate that today to today's even rap. If we look at what was happening at that point in time and just pushing the boundaries and they were loving it. People loved it. People loved this music and also really felt, again, like you said, connected to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, this is making me want to go listen to some music. <laughs> whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect.
2: Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
1: Also, we did touch on this earlier, but wanted to mention this whole idea of knowing what you're worth. That's something we've talked about. Recently, it's an ongoing conversation, but especially, you know, the time when this movie was set for a black woman. And I think a lot of the things, if you haven't seen the movie and you're just listening to us talk about it, you might be like, that kind of sounds like a diva behavior. But really, she was just like, I'm gonna, you're gonna make so much money from this. I've requested this. I know you give it to a white artist, and now you're making me feel like just by like, asking for what I'm worth. Like, not even that, but like the bare minimum of what I asked you for. (laughs) And you're making me feel like I'm being a diva for it. Like a Coca-Cola on a hot day at a recording studio. You can't do that.
2: (laughs) Right. I mean, essentially, this is also the narrative we have when they're weaponized language against Black women, calling diva, calling them angry, all all those things. Mm -hmm. This is kind of that narrative. When in actuality, Ma Rainey had to be stern to tell them what she wanted Mm and they weren't listening. So it got to the point that when you say it the third or the fourth time, you're starting to get angry. And I get that, I get that completely because you are being ignored. Mm -hmm. And by the time either you slink away, And let it be, or you fight for Mm -hmm. it. And that's where she was. And I think that's absolutely the key point. As in fact, she talks about, I know when they leave here, they're going to talk all this trash about me. They're going to say all these things, call me all these names, but I don't care. Like, I really want to get to that point Mm -hmm. where I don't care that you're trash talking me. Because I finally stood up for myself. You yes. know, instead of caring about what you think about me, where we shouldn't be. And when it comes to Ma Rainey, she's already been there. Mm-hmm. She's already seen how much money they're going to make off of her. She already knows that they're trying to take advantage of her. So therefore, she's tired. And so when she asks for something and you don't have it, and she has to repeat herself,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... That as we discussed in a recent episode, that can be hard to, you know, know what you're worth and to ask for what you're worth. And we have been women, but especially women of color and especially black women, made that have that turned around on us as we're being like, we're demanding too much or like we can just get rid of you right now. But she knew like she knew her worth. And I yeah, that's that's not easy. And I'm glad that she did, yeah, <laughs> yes. But that also leads into our next theme we wanted to discuss, which is appropriating Black culture, um, not giving credit where credit is due or taking credit for Black culture, because that is definitely like the whole arc of Levy's character is really hammering that point home that he he had this talent and he had these dreams. And he, I mean, I guess you could say, unfortunately, like even though he felt so at times, he and Ma Rainey clashed he was just so, so ambitious. I guess he lost. I don't know. I don't know if "lost" side is the right thing, but to have that just taken at the end, and have a white band play it after he's told, like, "Oh, this isn't worth anything. Mm-hmm. You're never going to make any money." Um, right. And we still, unfortunately, see that today too.
2: Right. And that's kind of the whole like conversation we've been having that's been uh, like simmering in my head about colonization and taking other people's culture. When you, you talk about this is cultural appropriation, there's. A bigger, and I know we're going to have to come back to it eventually, about appreciation versus appropriation and why there is a distinct difference and why it's important to understand it. But then also the fact of the matter that uh, Levy's character is so hopeful that he is the one that's going to break this boundary, like he's going to go beyond this, where you see the two different characters. So you have the new and the older in which Ma Rainey has already tried and she's tired and she knows how to play the game. She's going to get what she's worth and she's going to leave as where Levy's coming in trying to make his own and really thinking that he's going to push that boundary. He's really thinking he's going to cut that red tape and really get to there because he has the talent to do it. And then being disappointed when the door slams in his face once again and then really being told You're not, because he comes in, buys some new shoes, really proud of it, tries to hit on some girls, really having a good day in this performance, seeing himself for the first time as writers, being told that he's his one style of music for one of their songs is preferred over Ma Rainey's, getting on this high. Mm -hmm. And then so violently pushed down by white men in this scenario. And then we also had the competition is... Ma Rainey is fearful of change. She's fearful of the new, which is kind of that conversation about her and Bessie Smith, about who, who was who first, mm-hmm. who started this first, and seeing him being a threat. Mm-hmm. But in, in her age, knowing how to combat these threats as where Levy is not able to handle criticism— And or rejection, Mm -hmm. so because he's so new to this, so there's so many like things to that that we see in that as well. But him, unfortunately, realizing what it looks like to be taken advantage of, and instead of being mentored and listening to Ma Rainey about how to do something Mm -hmm. or how to go about it, he 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 doesn't. Yeah, and Ma Rainey doesn't invest in that, and that's a whole different conversation in itself. Yes. And cultural appropriation, like there's a whole thing happening about food. We know this. We're having a constant conversation about music. That's never going to go away. And about who's doing what and why it's important to credit people. And now we're going as specific as stop trying to steal people's music. How about Mm -hmm. that? But even more so when it comes to culture, we're talking about hairstyles, we're talking about food, and it's not about you can't do it necessarily. I mean... We won't go into specifics, <laughs> but when it comes to food, that you can't do it, but don't try to take credit for it as if you just invented the wheel. Yeah, and then make more money off of it, mm-hmm. and then who make who's making money off of it and pretending like it's their own? Right. Like that's been a big discussion right now. Kimchi mm-hmm. is a big discussion. I was like, wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is a huge that is a huge topic. we am going to return to that. I also. I know we make this point a lot, and you made it a little bit earlier, Samantha, but kind of this idea of um, turning marginalized people against each other. I feel like right. that was that was part of this. And then also, as you say, like, Ma Rainey was being dismissed by Levy and the white producer and agent. Not so much the other band members, mm-hmm. but like she is the, she has been in this game, and she knows what she's doing, and they're both kind of like, both parties are kind of like, no, no. No, no, no! And she's keeping keeps having to say, "We're doing it my way." Like I know right. what this is. I wrote this music. Like, don't come in here, <laughs> right? Which is also a theme we see time and time again.
2: Right. Yeah. And I think again, it is that thing that she's tired mm-hmm. and she no longer gets any, <laughs> and therefore she's just gonna tell you, "Stop
1: it!" Right. 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 But yeah, she's. That was something else I took note of as I just felt like she wasn't getting the respect that she deserved. Um, And then also racial and intergenerational trauma. The whole Levy's story is like that (laughs) in a nutshell. It it encompasses that so beautifully and so, so painfully. Because you see those sides of him as being like so, so ambitious. And so like, I'm going to break this. I'm going to rise above all these obstacles. And then he has that moment that's so raw mm. and so painful where he talks about this trauma he went to and how it's still in his mind and how it informs how he interacts with the world and how he interacts with white people specifically and how how he thinks he can win this game by knowing yeah. that. Which I think he said something along, like, smiling in his face. Right. Saying, yes, sir, and smiling in his face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then seeing that, how that ends up. but That's just throughout. And, like, even... Throughout the entire movie, there's just, like you said, like when they went to go buy the coke. there are these moments of tension, like you can never escape this kind of white supremacist structure. Right. Like even if you have like this good moment right
2: i mean that's kind of the whole point with the great migration is they were told there's opportunities the north accepts you um you will find new ways and for maraini and it, uh, this was part of the documentary where they were talking about it is that she knew how it worked in the south so she had her hub of people and she knew how to maintain and control that coming to an area that says we're so welcoming we're so open and then coming in oh no these are new rules to play by but the supremacy is still here and trying to navigate that that was harder for her because and, and i thought about about that I was like, yeah, that's absolutely true. In my own small world, I knew one thing. I got into a bigger world. I was like, oh, this is not how this works. What's happening? I was good over here. I knew how to work that system. I knew how to maintain in the system. Now, this is a new system, which you gave me false hope. And it's not here. And I still have to be on guard because if not, I'm gonna be raked over the coal somehow. And I think that was another part of that conversation. That we saw at the beginning when we talk about come to the come to the north, come to Chicago, come to here, and we'll help we'll help you get a job. You're, everybody's welcome, mm-hmm. and that's not true.
1: Right, 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 right. And then to wrap up here, I, I want to touch on these two things very quickly because they weren't major themes in it. But as you said, there was that some like ableism around Sylvester about his stutter, and when Ma Rainey is first like he's going to do it, he can do it. And Levy being like, he can't do it. So you got kind of those both angles where I feel like Ma Rainey was pretty supportive. Yeah. Even though, yeah, there can be that angle of maybe he didn't want to do it. It seemed to be like he wanted to do it and she was like, you can do it then. Like, right. But that, that's absolutely right. not always the case. <laughs>
2: um Right. But yeah. And I think the bigger picture when I was talking about is that we often see in these movies and not just these movies, we often see in media in general in any entertainment that there is that the disability is bad yeah. and to overcome yep. it is to win and that's the overall Goal. Mm-hmm. And that's not the truth. When we talk to people in the disabled community, when we see articles, that's not the thing. They're happy. Mm-hmm. They're happy. The reason they're unhappy oftentimes is because we, the ablest, abled community, would think, oh, poor you. Right, and then exactly. realizing, wait, what? Mm-hmm. This is not okay. Mm-hmm. Just accept them. There shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, they may have a stutter, but what does that, that doesn't change anything? Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it really—it doesn't change who they are, and that doesn't have to be "quote unquote" fixed. Of course, I know once again, those who are in the disabled community do want to change that or or uh, do something different from that. Then that's fine. That's accepted. However, it needs to be. But we can't. We have to get away from these tropes that there's a better, mm-hmm. right. which is the ableist conversation. Which I mean, again, it still was like, oh, I'm really glad Ma Rainey loves her nephew to want to be patient with him and work it out with him. Mm-hmm. But let's let's just also recognize it's okay to have stutter. It's
1: not a big deal. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, also, <laughs> so the first time I watched this, I thought so Ma Rainey comes in with Dussie May and they have this moment. I was like, are they romantically involved? And then I got confused throughout the rest and then I was researching Ma Rainey and they said she was queer. So there was that element in there that I would like to look right. more into because I think we should come back and do kind of a biography. Um Oh, yeah. I think we should do some... I think we should, too.
2: Uh, I think it would be great with her, Bessie Smith mm-hmm. and uh, Bessie Jackson. I think we could just do a Mahalia Jack... All of them. Yeah. I want to talk about all of them. Yeah. But, yeah, there is that queer component in which we've talked about. Of course, they kind of overshadowed it with the Levy right. storyline, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that was necessary other than to push the plot along about how ambitious, overly ambitious he was. Mm-hmm. And really, he thought he was untouchable, mm-hmm. which is, again... Part of who his uh, character was, Uh, poor Dusty May just kind of gets thrown all about. (laughs) But, yeah, I think the big question. So, uh, apparently, the reason she got her name Ma Rainey is that her and her ex-husband were Pa and Ma Rainey, and they did uh, minstrel shows together. Mm -hmm. And then she kept the name Ma Rainey. Obviously, I don't know who Pa Rainey is, so (laughs) we... whatever Uh and that's how she kind of moved into her her stage name and her character um but when she left her husband realizing ah nah you are nothing to me (laughs) not that that's why she left but like it obviously fell apart and then she ended up yeah coming out as queer because she didn't hide it Mm -hmm. she really didn't uh so that was kind of interesting to see yeah
1: yeah we'll have to we'll have to return to that i would love to do all musicians, all those musicians you mentioned. That'd be fun. In the meantime, if you haven't watched this movie, the documentary, you're on Netflix. Go seek them out. Really beautifully shot, beautifully acted. I loved the costuming. Oh, so good. It was so, so good. The music, phenomenal. Go check it out. And as always, if you have a recommendation for our next movie... You should send it to us. Yeah. You can do so at our email, momstuff mom at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff on Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you for making us sound good, Christina. Yes. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Stuff on Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.